It has been said that the opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it's human connection. Here, we connect anonymously. This is Addicts in the Dark with Quick Nick. Did you find yourself struggling with your addiction recovery during the holiday season? It can be tough, especially when our stress responses are triggered. So be sure to register for Recovery is a Mindfulness Practice, an online workshop offered by Melissa Armstrong Coaching. It's happening January 21st. Register now at strongarm.ca. It's caller 27 and their story about addiction. Addicts in the dark. Hello, hello, Nick. Hello, hello. You can say my name, by the way, but just remember you can't say yours. Right. Yeah. No names, no location. Exactly. So tell me your story about addiction. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think most of the people on the show kind of start, they start talking about their, their childhood and, you know, mine kind of starts, you know, similarly to a lot of the other people I hear on the show, you know, I had parents who were kind of emotionally unavailable since to me as I was growing up I had a I had a mother who was diagnosed bipolar and she would go through depressive episodes and kind of check out for for weeks at a time I had a father who was an alcoholic it was just it was tough being a kid dealing with all that and uh eventually when I was when I was 13 my mother ended up committing suicide and um that had like a profound effect on me as it would any kid Really, I mean, I started off, you know, feeling a lot of worthlessness, feeling like I wasn't good enough for anybody. Like, you know, maybe I'm the reason she she passed away. You know, maybe this is my fault. Just feeling really unworthy of of love and unworthy of attention. And then at the same time, I had a father who, you know, blamed himself for what happened to my mother. And he took it really hard and he kind of spiraled down and he went from you know, being an alcoholic to being a cocaine and crack addict and taking pills. And so, you know, long story short, by the time I'm 13, you know, and I'm going through my teenage years, I had absolutely no parental guidance. I had nobody there guiding me. I had nobody there supporting me. I had nobody keeping me in line. I was really left to my own devices. And I was in a really vulnerable place. And I was just a vulnerable kid. And as I started to go through the years of being a teenager, you know, I had my first experience with what I know now is, is love addiction, you know, an addiction to love and an addiction to like emotional dependency and codependent relationships. That kind of started to kick off when I was a teenager, you know, I met a girl who was a couple of years older than me and she really, she kind of really started to form this really bad perception of what love is for me. You know, I, I didn't know anything about love. I was very sheltered as a kid. I didn't have any experiences with that. And I, all of a sudden, you know, my mom just died. My dad's not there. And I have this girl who's, you know, a couple of years older than me and a lot more experience in life than I am. And she's telling me she loves me and she's telling me I'm worth something. And she says, we're, you know, we're a, a fairy tale romance. We're going to end up together for the rest of our lives. And I think that initial experience with love, if you want to call it love, it's, it's really not, but that feeling that 
you know, neediness is love. Like I'm vulnerable. I need to be saved and somebody's there to save me. Like this is what love is. And it was a world that I could escape into or I could feel safe. I could feel like my problems were gone. I didn't have to focus on what I was feeling, right? Because I'm feeling worthless and I have somebody telling me that I'm worth something. I feel so vulnerable and somebody's able to come into my life and make me feel so safe. Um, that didn't pan out. Uh, eventually, we we split up and I wasn't able to see her anymore. And it kind of happened basically kind of like overnight, I guess. Like within, within a few nights of that, I kind of had this feeling that if I wasn't with somebody, if I wasn't actively pursuing somebody, you know, romantically or like as an emotional attachment, I, my whole life was basically pointless. My whole life was worthless at that point. That's really what I had taught myself. And that's really where love addiction kind of, for me, starts to spiral, you know? And so I, as a teenager, I was in this position where I would basically kind of meet girls through my friends. You know, like I didn't really know anything about them. They were just kind of like mutual friends. And I would pretty much ascribe like magical qualities to them, right? I would say like, oh, this person's the person that's going to save me. Like everything about them is perfect. I need to devote all of my energy to pursuing this person. I need to devote all of my time to showing this person that I have value and like kind of fostering like a codependent relationship with these girls. And I started doing that probably when I was 14, 15. And I think people listening to this too will say, oh, well, like, yeah, that's just being a teenager. That's, that's just love. This is how it is. You're a hopeless romantic and all that. But like, as the story goes on, like you start to realize like, no, this was something that was, I was obsessing over. It was completely interrupting and immobilizing my life. Well, so I just wanted to talk about, go ahead. Well, I just wanted to say that I think most people listening can hear how destructive this type of obsessive focus has been for you. So although myself and most of the listeners probably don't know what love addiction is like, I can tell you that this does undoubtedly sound like an addiction. Yeah. And you know, that's something I feel like I have to like remind myself because I mean, I feel like, you know, I, I definitely downplayed it and minimized it as I was growing up too. Like, well, I'm not addicted. I don't do drugs and I don't smoke and I'm not, I'm not on pills. You know, I don't do anything that I'm just, I just, it's just a love thing. But like, first of all, to be a love addict, you kind of have to conflate what love actually is with like a feeling of actually just codependency and neediness and just telling yourself, Oh, this is what love is. Right. Like we, are in a loving relationship when it's really the farthest thing from, from what it actually is. Right. So it put a huge hamper on like the first relationship that I had, because you're operating under this idea, like, Oh, like we are in love. Like, this is what love is. Like I'm to, you know, in a regular loving relationship, you foster it, you nurture it. You think about the future, you work towards your, your future goals together. Right. Like this is what the healthy version of love should be to somebody and like that's just never something that ever crossed my mind as I was growing up you know through my teenage years and started with my first relationship so really the relationship's completely hampered from the start because it's not predicated on anything that resembles true healthy love and and as time progressed I started you know doing things that were 
kind of concerning. I think at the time, like I would just, I would just find girls that, you know, mutual friends with people. And I would just start, you know, I started trying to use their names any time that I could in like the middle of a conversation just to be able to like bring them up. You know, I was, I was, you know, turning in my homework with like their initials, like scribbled into the corner of it. I was staying up till you know, three in the morning, you know, writing poetry about these girls and like writing their initials in the corner. And I was ordering, you know, custom, like, you know, out, not outfits, but like t-shirts and rubber bracelets, like with their names or things they would say on it. Like, I just wanted to be so enveloped in this person's like emotional dependency on me. Like, I just, I just wanted to be surrounded by it. And that kind of when things were started to lean towards being a concerning for me anyway. So as time went on, you know, I became, you know, 17, 18, I was becoming an adult and I started to think, you know, less like, oh, you know, I'm just a, a hopeless romantic. And I really started to think about, you know, what I'm doing is actually having a negative impact on my life. Me seeking out codependent relationships is really hindering my quality of life like at that point i was able if you put a lineup of girls in front of me i could have picked out the one that you know had self-esteem issues any girl who was basically vulnerable and i could trick into thinking like they loved me and that they needed me and that i was basically the answer to everything in their life like that's the person that i was going to go after and i didn't even really need to know anything more than that about them they just became the fixation of the addiction and that got me into trouble as I got older, you know, I started working at a, like a summer camp for teens and stuff. And, you know, I learned pretty quickly, which is kind of an unfortunate revelation, but like age is not really, you know, a factor in this love addiction thing. The only thing that matters is that someone is like vulnerable and someone is like willing to feed into like a codependent, you know, what my version of love is relationship with me. And so, you know, I would definitely like have conversations with, with people that went to the camp, you know, younger girls, you know, outside of, outside of the summer camp. Um, and it was never anything explicit. It was never anything salacious or anything like that. But, you know, I shouldn't have been having conversations with those people. And eventually I, you know, this was found out and I was, I was promptly fired from my job and for good reason. So now it's a, an addiction to me because it's to the point where I would have risked my job and my, you know, my standing in the, in society and the way that people thought about me, like all of that was worth risking in order to like foster like a codependent relationship and like just go after that love. And eventually it burned me in the end. And like I said before, it was nothing like illegal, but I mean, that's kind of when, when, when I lost my job from, you know, getting into that, that's really kind of, I guess, where like the, the downward spiral like really occurred because if I was willing to go that low, then I would go as low as like I possibly could. And so I would dream about, um, like, you know, inscribing a girl's name, like on the tiles of my ceiling, just so I could be surrounded by her name whenever like I looked around the room I could just be like oh there there she is right like this is always with me this is this is a way that I can get high even without interacting with the girl that I'm addicted to I can just put her name on the ceiling and like look at it and like that would be enough even to like give me a quick hit I was at the point where I had a folder on my computer and you could go into the folder and there would be 15 word documents 
each one with a different name on it of a different girl. And you could open the Word document and there would be their name, middle name, birthday, you know, favorite color, like parents' names, their address, if I could find it on the internet. I, I got really good at stalking, essentially, like at this point, because the more I knew, the more about them, the more I could convince myself, like, yeah, this is this is something different. Like, I know everything about them. Like, this is, I am the true lover. This is real, like, love. This is what love is. You just you just obsess over somebody. Like I had really convinced myself that that's what love was supposed to look like because I was just so addicted to it. And so I was in a, I was kind of in like a long-term relationship at the time, which is like hard to believe considering everything that I was doing. And I was, I I didn't really make an effort to try to hide it because I was, you know, anything that I could do to get my high, it didn't matter. So if someone was going to find out about it, like whatever. And I would have conversations about it with my girlfriend at the time and, you know, she, you know, did her best to understand, but she wasn't an addict. She didn't really get it. She really couldn't be the support that I needed in order to start to like process like, what, what is this? Where does it come from? Why am I like this? What, what's the genesis? What's the catalyst? So she was supportive and that she was there for me, but she really was, was not the person to be talking to about any of this. And so this all kind of culminated when I was twenty two or 23, I was having some, I was going through a really dark time. I was thinking a lot about, I'm an awful person. Like I deserve to to burn. I deserve to die. Like, I don't know why I'm alive right now. I live for this. I live to get high off of this. And like, this is a terrible thing to be addicted to. It makes you think terrible things. And I just want to be done with it. So I should just, I should just commit suicide. And that's really where I was at. And I was also having thoughts about like kidnapping people if it was like possible because I was like, well, if I need to get high and I need to see somebody, like this is how I have to go about it. And whatever the consequences are of that, whatever. I'm not thinking five years down the road, 10 years down the road. I'm thinking about now. And that scared me enough to where I actually put myself into the mental hospital. I went I went and uh, sought help, went to the hospital. I told them I was having a lot of intrusive thoughts and they were able to refer me to a therapist and that's really where I was able to kind of start to unpack like what effect did my mother and father not being around for me have when I was a kid like how did that contribute to me feeling worthless how did that contribute to me getting to the point where I constantly feel the need to seek out loving relationships with people in order to feel whole. That's really where it comes from. And so through therapy, I had a therapist I would tell all of this stuff to, and she was keen to it. She realized like, this sounds like, you know, love addiction, which is, you know, I, they have like SLAAs, Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. They, they have like almost like an Alcoholics Anonymous program for love addicts and sex addicts. And she referred me to that. And I, you know, I was skeptical about going because I was like, no one's going to get me. Like I'm unique. This is, you know, my problem is so different than everybody else's addiction. Like nobody's going to understand me. This isn't going to be helpful for me. Like that's what I was thinking, but I convinced myself to go, or I guess my therapist really convinced me to go. And it was really like the, the life changing moment for me or one of them and like starting to understand how addiction works like how addicts use it to you know a 
cope with negative feelings that they may have got, you know, that might have been created when they were a kid, but be also to, to stuff those feelings down and not feel them. Like, what is that addictive process and how does that apply to things that we all need, right? When it comes to drugs, heroin, like pills, coke, whatever you're addicted to, right? Like sobriety says, oh, well, okay, well, I just won't take it anymore. I, I won't, I won't do them anymore and I'll work on myself. I think that sex and love and, and even like food is like different because you need those things. And so it's a unique situation where like, you can't just stop eating. You can't just stop, you know, love, like love is on the hierarchy of needs. We all need it. Right. So, so hearing other people in these situations where, you know, I was talking to people in SLAA and learning about how it's more a healthy version of love, a healthy version of sex that you can define and hold on to and like not steer away from what the healthy version of love and sex is to you. That's what sobriety is. And like, that's how you manage that kind of addiction. So being, being in that program was like really, really, really helpful to like understand how all that works and what was going on in my head. And so I guess in theory, the person in your relationship is supposed to provide you with that love yet. Yeah. You were still seeking it out elsewhere. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I feel like obviously every addict is going to be able to like relate to this, but yeah, being in a relationship while you're addicted to something and specifically love is just such a, just such a fucking whirlwind. Nick. It's just so, first of all, you're already not prioritizing the way that you should be prioritizing, right? If you're in a relationship like this person I mean, your health obviously comes first, but this person that you're with is also almost as equally, equally as important as you. And you should be taking their needs into consideration and be available for them uh, physically, emotionally. And as I was dealing with this love addiction, like I would pretty much ignore them. Like whenever I got the chance to ignore them, if I could escape away from them and just and dive into, you know, talking to girls, you know, hit up a girl on, on Facebook or Instagram or, or just, you know, click and scroll. I like to call it the click and scroll. If you just click and scroll and scroll through names and scroll through, scroll through pictures of girls, like even that can, can get you high. And that's, I, I would totally avoid my responsibilities in my relationship in order to feed into the addiction. So it was tough, you know, and I had a, I had a partner who was, supportive and understood I think even though I didn't really know at the time like what was going on with me like I she knew I had a I was a sickness she knew that I had a problem basically and so she tried to be an emotional support like as as much as she could but also at the same time like it's hard to be that person in a relationship where you're trying to balance like I want to be the support for somebody but this person's really hurting me with everything that they're doing that's just, I, you know, I don't envy anybody who's in that position. And then honestly, when, when you get to SLAA, they tell you like, you know, if you really want to try to combat this, like being in a relationship at the same time is just not the way to do it because there's no way you can really work on yourself when you're carrying the burden of trying to also keep a relationship on the straight and narrow. Like there's just no chance. So, I mean, it brought a lot of shame. It brought a lot of guilt to me. And that stuff that even years, I hadn't been with this person in years. We eventually broke up because of all this 
I still struggle with, man, I really hate when I did X, Y, Z, right? I, 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 how do I live with myself knowing that I did this, the shame and the guilt's just so, so like heavy. So, I mean, being with somebody while you're addicted and then the, the afterbirth of that, is is quite the maze to try to navigate, right? Yeah. In fact, the first caller on this podcast was a, a sex addict and yeah. he defined to us what sobriety meant to him. So what does being sober mean to you as a love addict? I mean, that just comes down to like, it, first you start off, you have to define what healthy love is. And like, once you have those parameters like this is what I want to be involved with like this is what serves me in a healthy way this is what I want to be in like once you do that you you know when you're messing up right like you know when you're feeling like fiending for a drug when you when you're looking for a girl that you can latch on to right in my in my position anyway like if I'm looking for a girl and I can latch on to like I'm I know when I'm doing it you know I had a pattern of seeking out oh, this girl's emotionally unavailable. This girl's emotionally unavailable. Like, that's what I want because I can avoid responsibility for myself because whatever, we're not going to enter into a relationship or actually be in love or anything. But on top of that, they can't, they're not in a position to really be in a really good, loving relationship. So I think that in my relationship, I was in at the time, you know, if my girlfriend at the time presented something that felt like love, that felt like real support, like I almost would want to run away from that. I would definitely shy away from it because the idea of being vulnerable after what happened to me when I was a kid was the complete opposite of what I was looking to, to feel. I wanted to feel as guarded as possible. And, you know, the best way to do that is to never open yourself up to begin with. Activate your true self by disarming your inner critic with Melissa Armstrong Coaching. Go to strongarm.ca for more. So do you have a healthy relationship now? Yeah, yes, I do. And I'm, and I don't know if it comes through with what I'm saying over the phone right now in this conversation, but like, obviously, this is still like a learning process for me. I'm a few years sober at this point, like three years, three and a half years, pretty much sober. But understanding my addiction and like what it looks like is still something that I'm, I'm learning about every day and going to therapy and sorting out my past and lowering some of my defense mechanisms and figuring out a lot of my problems has enabled me to be able to finally be in a relationship that's healthy it's loving it's supportive it's not I mean, it's scary sometimes, but I'm not constantly scared. I don't feel like I have a need for control all of the time. It feels real. It feels like we're both nurturing it together. And so I'm really, really happy like, through my recovery. I've been able to meet somebody who's there for me, who understands the things I've been through. And, and we're able to work towards having something truly great together, honestly. And it's not easy. I mean, every addict I've ever talked to says this, like, recovery is not linear. And, like, that is just so, so true. Like, as time goes on, like, sometimes you have setbacks. Sometimes you're on top of the world. Things are going great, you know, and that's what it's like. But, yeah, I've been able to have some, uh, have a really healthy relationship with a girl I'm, I'm with right now. I've been with her for about two years, and I'm just, I'm just really happy to have it. And every addiction story that you hear about, 
you hear about somebody hitting the lowest of the low, like this is my rock bottom. And as an addict, I can totally relate to that. Like this is the lowest I'm going to go. And it's a scary feeling because when you're that low, when you're in that hole, when you're in that pit, there's no hope for yourself at that point that you can crawl out of it. And I totally felt that way at one point in my life. I felt the cards were stacked against me. My life was just built to be awful and and ruined. And I was just destined to deal with this for the rest of my life. And like, I want to be one of those people who at the other end is able to say, no, you can do it. There's a way out of this, no matter how low you are, no matter how much piled on, no matter how heavy it feels, there is a route for you that you can take to really get your life together and move on and really start to heal from all the things that hurt you in the past. So if you're hearing this right now, just just hold on to hope and, and you can make it through. You really can. Certainly it's important to remember that love addiction, like any addiction, is often a coping mechanism for deeper underlying issues. In the case of the caller, it seems that he was using love as a way to fill the void of loneliness and a need to be accepted. This is a common theme amongst addicts as they use their addiction to avoid dealing with their own emotional pain or to feel a sense of self-worth and acceptance. However, it's also essential to recognize that Acceptance starts with oneself. It's important to work on finding self-worth and self-acceptance before seeking the acceptance of others. This is a crucial step in the recovery of any addict, as it allows individuals to build a foundation for healthy, fulfilling relationships. I'm Quick Nick. Thanks for listening. Addicts in the Dark is brought to you in part by Melissa Armstrong Coaching. Check out Melissa Armstrong at www.strongarm.ca. That's www.strongarm.ca.